Good morning. We have a word from God this morning that's for our hearts, for our hope, for our relief, and for our rest. It's about, about a king, about a king Jesus who came, about a king Jesus who came to be a tree under which we might find shelter, a, a king who came to set us free. Uh, listen to Jeremiah chapter 23. It'll be on the screen. It's also printed on a sermon insert. Uh, you can follow along there. It begins with a word of woe to the bad kings. He says this, Woe to the shepherds. He's speaking about kings. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I, God says, will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they will say this, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. This is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, may the words that I speak and the words that your people hear and the meditation that takes place in our hearts by the working of your Holy Spirit, let it all, God, be pleasing in your sight. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm pretty sure that we don't play kids don't play the game anymore. I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to play anymore. But when I was a kid, now I'm saying how old I am. But when I was a kid, we used to play a game called King of the Mountain. I don't know if any of you have ever played this game. It can play it. It happens in any season of the year. In my street, when I was growing up, we lived on a cul-de-sac, so the plows would push all the snow into the middle of the cul-de-sac, and we would pull, and we would push, and we would punch. This is probably why we don't play it anymore. We would, we would do whatever we could to, to pull other people down so that we could be on top, so that we could stand up there and say, I am the king of the mountain. In the summer, you can play the game in a little bit different way. You can go into a raft in the middle of the lake, right? And you, you've maybe done this before where, where you're just trying to get on top of, just trying to stay on the raft. And if you can stay on the raft and keep everybody off of the raft, like then you can stand up there and be, I am the king. I am the queen of the raft. I actually played this game a few years ago with my kids just to exert my, my parental authority over my kids. 
And there were some scratches on my kids. I, I, I maintain my authority. I retain my place as the father of the Borman household, the king of the Borman family. I think you understand, though, why we maybe don't play this game. <laughs> um, I think of our teachers, kids, I'm not suggesting that you play this. In fact, you should not play this because I understand why we don't. Because if all of a sudden we send all the alpha kids to the little snow pile over there and said, go play on the hill and, and figure out who's going to be king out, the, out, out of the mountain, there would be a lot of parent phone calls, a lot of crying children because they fell down from the mountain and hit their head on the pavement. So physically, it's not a great idea. Emotionally, internally, it's maybe not a good idea either because what happens if you're on the top? What do, what do you end up, if you end up being the king of the mountain, what do you do to the other kids? Ha <laughs> ha! And what do you do if you're the kid who didn't make it to the top? Right, then there's these people over people thing that happens already in our kids, and there's something inside that happens to us. But I think the biggest reason when I think about this game is that as we grow up, it really stops being a game. And, and rather becomes almost the, the way that we live, the way that we live with other people. The, we, we're, we're constantly, I don't know about you, but we're constantly in our lives trying to put ourselves over other people, trying to get out from under people, trying to put ourselves on top of other people. It becomes kind of the way, sadly, it becomes the way that we live. See, that's the problem that God was addressing in Jeremiah 23. God had appointed kings over his people, and he calls them shepherds, which means the main job of the king was to shepherd, was to care for, was to tend for the needs of his people. The, the king was really to be a servant of the people under them to meet their needs, but instead of caring for the people, the king oppressed the people. Talking to the same kings in Ezekiel chapter 34, the prophet there says, kings, this is what you've done. Instead of making sure that your people ate food, you ate the best of food. You are wearing the finest threads, dressed to the nine, and your people are walking about naked. You're living in a, in a house of cedar and gold, and your people are houseless and homeless. You're not taking care of your people, and God says, woe. That's why this section begins with a woe to the kings, because the kings were on top of the mountain and they made sure that their people knew it. Same thing in the days of Jesus, right? You, have Caesar, you start at the top, you have Caesar Augustus. And under Caesar Augustus, you have Pilate. And, and this whole thing that takes place the rest of the week, what, what's everybody doing? They're, they're afraid, so they're trying to hold on to the little bit of power that they have. Pilate gives in to the Jews because he's trying to hold on to power. Caesar... He's, Pilate's afraid of Caesar, he's afraid of the Jews, and the Jews are doing it too. What, why is it at the end of the day why they have Jesus crucified? It's about being king of the mountain. It's about maintaining their hold on the power and authority that they thought was theirs. And I don't think I have to work very hard for you to think about those same kinds of things that happen in your own life. And we could think really big, like the, the structures and systems that are over us. We could think really small about the, the jobs that we have, the families that we have, where there's somebody over us, the man, the proverbial man, who's putting their thumb down on us. I don't think I have to work very hard. And what is it that we want? 
prove it, prove me wrong, but are we not trying to, here's the first fill-in, are we not trying to get out from under so that we can be over? Aren't we trying to get out from under the foot of somebody else so we can be over somebody else? At the end of the day, that's why this crowd cries out to Jesus on Palm Sunday. That's why they say to him, that's why they're crying out, Hosanna. If you think about this cry, Hosanna, this is what Hosanna means. Hosanna means, Lord, save us. And at its root, when they cried it on Palm Sunday, this was a political cry. They were hoping that Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem with the palm branches and the donkey, palm branches were a sign of victory because they were hoping that Jesus was going to give them victory over the Romans, that he was going to set them free so that they could be king of their own city again, so they could be their own people again. He was trying to, they wanted to be set free from under so they could be over. And can you imagine perhaps how the people in Jerusalem the Jerusalem felt when Jeremiah read these words? Can you imagine how they felt about their kings? Can you imagine what they thought in their mind when Jeremiah said about the kings, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done? Can you imagine their hearts doing a little bit of, yeah! Right? The, the kings, these kings who have not fed us, who have not cared for us, who have not done what we needed for us, they're going to go down and we're going to go up. See, I think we, could off, we often talk about two categories of people, the oppressor and the oppressed. But I think when we get right down to it, what we have are two of the same categories, the oppressed and the, the oppressor and the wannabe oppressor. We all, in our own way, want to be king or queen of the mountain. But what if there was the third category? What if there was a category beyond oppressor and wannabe oppressor? What if there was a third category? No one, and you all know this, I think, no one was oppressed like Jesus. No one suffered more injustice more hatred wrongly than Jesus did. And understand that you have to step way back and understand who Jesus is and the authority that he had over all things. I want you to understand this. I'm going to say it this way. Jesus is the one with whom God the Father created this world and everything in it. Which means that everything came into being by his power and might. Jesus has now ascended to the right hand of God and everything and everyone is under him. He's the one who made Pilate his delegate. He's the one who made Annas and Caiaphas his delegate. He's the one who put them in their places. And beyond all that, did Jesus ever sin? You know the answer is no. Jesus never did a wrong thing against anybody. And yet here he stands before the ones whom he put in power and is condemned to the most painful death we can imagine, though he had done nothing wrong. And what does he, yet what does he do? He willingly 
I dare say joyfully, puts himself under that. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus submitted himself to the wicked condemnation of Pilate and the cries of crucify from the crowd. Jesus willingly put himself under that. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, this gets me every time. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying that God would take this cup from him. And he's, he's almost saying, God, if there's another way, I don't want to do the cross. Please take it from me. What does he do when the betrayer comes? He says, rise, let's go. It's time to meet my betrayer. Jesus does not shirk He does not run away. He does not hide away. He willingly, joyfully, eagerly goes to the cross and puts himself under his enemies, even under death. For what? Jesus put himself under to bring you out. Jesus put himself under the death of the cross to bring you out. Did you notice how Jeremiah ended this, this grand thing? It's almost like Jeremiah in this verse is changing the narrative of the whole time before this, God's people had been saying, remember the days when God brought us out of Egypt? That was their narrative. Remember that? God brought us out of Egypt, the, we, out, out, out from the Red Sea, out from under Pharaoh. Pharaoh was drowned under the waters of the Red Sea. For, for as long as God's people had been God's people, they've been saying, remember Egypt. But now you know what they're going to say? Remember Babylon? Remember when we were banished from God's presence? Remember when Nebuchadnezzar took us out of Babylon? Remember how God brought us back? It's like God's rewriting the story and giving the people a brand new narrative. It's really the same narrative, different nation. Do you see the narrative that you and I have too? It's neither Egypt nor Babylon anymore. Now it's sin and death and hell. See, Jesus put himself under death to bring us out, to give us exodus, to give us, bring us out to him. Je- Jesus put himself under to bring us beneath. Did you catch the metaphor that's right in the middle of this text? I'll read it to you again. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. See, see, I think God wants us to imagine this branch that grows out from Jesse's tree. Jesse was David's dad. And, and what happens under the branches of a tree? There's rest. There's shelter. There's safety. In those days, he says, in those days, Israel will be saved, and Judah will be saved, and Israel will, be, will live in safety. This is the name by which he, the branch, will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior, which is to say that Jesus put himself under death to bring us under the branches of his tree. Sorry, I'm a terrible-looking tree. But I want you to imagine this. Under the branches of Jesus' mighty arms, we find shelter and rest and salvation and righteousness and forgiveness all because he put himself under. And finally, Jesus put himself under to bring us together. I hope you're noticing I'm working from the backside of the text to the front. See, if the, if the bad shepherds pushed the people apart and scattered them, what is Jesus now doing? He's saying, I will gather you from the ends of the earth and I'll gather you under this tree. 
For he's still no longer are God's people scattered to the ends of the earth, to the four corners of the globe, but now God is saying, I'm bringing you all together beneath me because I am your Savior, your God, and your King. See, so what, what if there is a third category? Neither oppressor nor wannabe oppressor, neither oppressor nor oppressed. What if there was a third category? I don't know if you noticed the prepositions. I tried to be intentional. I don't know if you noticed the prepositions, but Jesus brought us out. He didn't put us over. He brought us beneath him. He didn't put us over our neighbor. He brought us together. He didn't set us apart. What I'm getting at is this. Jesus brings us out not to put us over other people, but to put us under him in service to our neighbor. See, Christians, and this is, I think, what we mean when we say our students are servant leaders, at least part of what we mean. Forgive me if I'm filling this with me, but this is scriptural anyway. We are not soldiers when it comes to living with other people. We're servants. We're not crusaders fighting for our cause. We're caretakers. So, so the child in my womb, the child in my life is someone whom God has given me to care for and to protect. If I'm in, when I'm in business and there's people under me and there's people over me, I'm always, no matter the hierarchical position, that was a mouthful, no matter your position on the totem pole, whether you're over or under, you are always a servant, always a caretaker. No matter your position in society, whether you're over or you're under, whether you have more than or less than, we are always servants. Jesus brought us out from under sin and death and hell by his cross so that we might live under him in his kingdom and serve him and them every day of our life. God help us. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.